Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds, and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. Today's cool fact of the day is that in order to meet the U.S. recommended daily allowance for all your essential micronutrients, following the USDA diet, you'd have to eat about 20,000 calories a day. The idea that you can get all your nutrients from foods following a balanced diet is a complete myth. Even following the Bulletproof diet, you almost always need to supplement with some nutrients. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD plus even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD+, risk-free, for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use. We have a great interview today with Richard Nikolai from freetheanimal.com. Richard is an entrepreneur, writer, and health enthusiast who uses paleo nutrition and mental training to help him become a better businessman and a better person in general. Richard comes on the show to share some of his knowledge so you can become better at whatever it is you want to do well. I'm pretty excited that Richard joined us on the show because he's one of those guys who follows a bulletproof philosophy, one that says that if you want to improve the quality of what you do, you improve the quality of yourself across all domains, not just food, but psychology plus food plus everything else, including the kitchen sink. So now we're going to move on to our exclusive interview with Richard Nikolai. Today we have Richard Nikolai with us on the show. He's an entrepreneur, writer, and paleo health enthusiast who runs the popular blog called Free the Animal. I'm a real fan of his website because he's also an entrepreneur who's found some of the performance enhancing effects of this kind of nutrition. He's written almost 2,000 articles for the web, and he's been probably one of the biggest advocates you'll find out there for the paleo diet and just general wellness. Richard's pretty well known for his frank and logical writing, and he's also known for being willing to you know, change his mind when a new idea comes out. He joins us today on Upgraded Self Radio to help you adopt a healthier, higher-performance lifestyle and to break through some of the barriers that... Thank you, Dave. And, uh, and just uh, for the benefit of Richard, your listeners, I was... ...book 
and um, and I came down with a cold. So uh, I apologize for the raspy voice, and, and if you hear me clear my throat or I sound a little bit congested, uh, you'll know why. Not a problem. So let's see. Tell us a little bit about how you got interested in all this stuff. I always like hearing from entrepreneurs. So let's uh, give us your story. I built a company that I started in my bedroom, you know, typical story. Uh, not huge. I, I built it up to uh, about 30 employees, a couple locations, uh, all with my own money instead of, uh, you know, I never, I never tried to go uh, with outside money. And uh, so at a point, uh, I kind of got uh, tired of it and started to look for something else to do. And I got involved with, uh, you know, kind of day trading, trading options and, and so on. So I hired someone to run the company and, and uh, uh, I was uh, involved in that trading um, for a couple of years. This was from about uh, 2005 to 2007. And um, it was it was so hyper stressful, um, particularly with options positions that are that are you know highly leveraged, and um, uh, you know made a lot, lost a lot, that sort of thing. But it really took a toll on me uh, health wise, not not just from the hours and you, know, you wake up at two o'clock or three o'clock in the morning, you get in the habit of, you know, getting on your computer and looking at what the markets in Europe are doing. Cause it kind of uh, oftentimes prefigures what's going to happen uh, for the day when the, when the U S markets open uh, which for me was six thirty on the, um, on the West coast. And, um, so I, I, I ended up uh, becoming disillusioned with that uh, primarily because it was ju I, I just saw it as, as a real downward spiral of health. I, I suppose that that uh, a person could um, figure it, find out a way to do it uh, healthfully, um, and, but it, it just it just turned out to be not something I wanted. To, you know, you just obsessed about it, thinking about it 24/7, worried about stuff, and, and so on. But uh, uh, so it was in about early 2007 when I started unraveling all my positions and getting out of it. And then I just kind of turned to the to okay, how do I? You know, my blood pressure was sky high. I was 60 pounds overweight and um, just uh, through a series of Googling around, you know, one thing led to another and uh, uh, suddenly I got uh, got involved in the whole paleo thing, which at the time was, was very, um, you know, I really was on the, you know, Cordain had published his book, The Paleo Diet in the early 2000s, I think 2001 or 2003, something like that, but it never really took off. And it just so happened that uh, I got involved right at the time where uh, where things started taking off with it, and I kind of was able to ride the wave and and be out on the front in terms of having a, a blog that um, you know pretty much I think most people in the paleo world know about it, whether they like it or not is another story. Um, but the, but but the community is growing, so you know I I've noticed over the time you know people come and go. You kind of sense that from the uh, commenters you get, you know, you see new faces and you realize you haven't seen some people for a long time. And uh, but it's always managed to hold its own and, and even grow a little bit. Um, just I think from the mass of new people coming into the community. I really like hearing you talk about stress. Uh, I also traded options for about five years and it's one of those like it's kind of like doing CrossFit all day, every day, like you don't get a break and, and the stress is there and stress breaks your health. And then, you know, using, we'll call them high powered health techniques like the paleo diet, uh -huh. I found really helped to reverse some of those things. I certainly have had adrenal burnout several times from various entrepreneurial efforts. So um, also being a Silicon Valley guy, formerly, I know exactly what you're saying. And uh, I, I love hearing your story uh, in person. It sounds very, just very familiar. Sure. I thought about going back to it, but it's, it wasn't very intellectually stimulating for, for me either. And see, one of the other things that convinced me to get out of it was reading um, Taleb, you know, Nicholas uh, Nassim Taleb or Nassim Nicholas Taleb, 
book, uh, Fooled by Randomness. He also wrote The Black Swan. But I, I, the Fool by Randomness is, was my favorite because I looked, when I read that, I looked back and I'm like, oh man, it, it, there's almost religious undertones or overtones when you think back and you, it's kind of confirmation bias, you know, you want your position to go one way. So you start to look at events, you know, a, a global geopolitical or financial events that leads you to believe that, that you're thinking about things correctly. And, you know, sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't, but it's very fraught with that sort of thing. And I, I just, I, when I quit doing it, it was like a big load was off my shoulders. That load can come from so many different places, including, you know, I, I'm sure part of that load was that you were not eating well at the time, because when you're focused on trading like that, at least when I was, as well as you know, working full time and also trying to options trade, you know, pulling my hair out, you don't focus on on the health things. Um, so, how much of your stress do you think was coming from, you know, this really high pressure uh, trading thing you're doing versus just like poor nutrition and lifestyle factors? Like, if you had to to get a percentage there, where was it coming from? One thing that really I think brought everything to a head is that I was doing very well um, for a long time, and so I offered to um, trade an account. Well, I traded, I traded my own account. And then, uh, then I thought, uh, well, let me, let me open an account for my company. So I traded a corporate account for my company. And then I tr started trading account for my dad and for my father-in-law. And then, so now you're trading other people's money and that's just, that's just, and, and it's your dad. And yeah. it's your father-in-law and you have a wife. And so the stress just, it just became, uh, so I would advise, you know, and uh, leave, leave that to the, leave that to the, to the, to the professionals, <laughs> you know, trade, trade with your own money. Leave it at that. <laughs> I'm with you there. Um, that stress though. So you actually cranked up the stress even more by, by making yourself responsible for other people's financial well-being. Was your lifestyle like 10% of your total burden on your body? Or were you like, kind of like I was eating crap. I was waking up at two in the morning. Uh, like, like I'm just trying to get a feel for when you, when you made this big jump to the paleo diet, how, how much of that, you know, came because you changed lifestyle factors other than the stress or was stress reduction a major part of, of your transformation? Well, I'd already unwrapped the position, so it wasn't like it. There was no overlap. Uh, I was already out of it uh, by the time I even, um, uh, you know, started discovering a paleo. Wow. But you know, I always, uh, I've always been into into good food, and I I cook. So it wasn't the fact that I was eating nothing good. It was simply the fact that the stress combined with with way too much fast food. You know, so even if you're cooking a good meal two, three times a week, the rest of the time it's like, eh, I'll just run to McDonald's or, you know, let's order a pizza, you know, something like that, that, that sort of thing. Uh, it's something that happens over, uh, over, at least in my case, over many years. You know, it's just, it's a few pounds a year, you know, five, 10 pounds a year. And then all of a sudden, six years later, it's like, wow. <laughs> Got it. I totally hear you. I had noticed when I was about, I topped out, I think around 240 pounds. And this is, you know, a five foot 10 guy that should weigh about 170 maybe. When I hit about 210, I'm like, wow, I got to do something. So I thought, well, I've got a dog. Let's, uh, let's walk. I walked every single morning from about 2002 on five, six years, 2001, 2002. So five, six years, I walked every morning three to five miles, uh, three to four miles. It was about, uh, about an hour, 55 minutes, an hour. And so, you know, five years later, five, six years later, I'd walked five to 6,000 miles and I weighed, you know, 30 pounds more. <laughs> so <laughs> you can't exercise your way out of a, out of a bad diet and lifestyle. Amen. Uh, I, uh, I weigh 300 uh, at my peak. I'm 6'4". And same thing, I worked out six days a week, hour and a half a day, weights and cardio, and uh, I gained weight. It was amazing. So it's like at a certain point, 
uh, I think any rational, sane person will step back and say, uh, I'm doing what they said and it doesn't work. It's time to think for myself. And you obviously did well, but now you're thinking for yourself, but you sort of did this paleo diet, which you know, cavemen aren't known for their thinking skills. You know, you're not out there you know, wearing a loincloth and, and sort of chilling your own meat most of the time. So, I mean, isn't making that choice to just do this paleo thing maybe not the most rational choice? It's hard to say. I didn't do, I, it wasn't like one day I woke up and said, um, I'm going to do paleo. I found it on the internet. What happened was that my blood pressure was super high, like 160 over 100, 110 every time I checked it. So I did some research on that and found that heavy lifting, resistance training, is effective in lowering blood pressure. And so then I, I reasoned that, well, if it's going to be heavy, then I need to do it for less time, you know, because intensity and, and endurance are inversely related. So right. I, went to the, I went to the gym and I said, look, I'm going to do a half an hour for two times a week. So an hour total, but I'm really going to make it count. You know, I really am going to push it. Got a trainer. So we really pushed it, and uh, I had a, I had this you know blood pressure monitoring device that had some software, so I was able to record the data and plot it out, and it was it was it was phenomenal. Uh, the, the 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 blood pressure just began coming down immediately, like within days, and within two weeks, I was now measuring you know 140 over 90 ish instead of 160 over 100. So a significant improvement. Still high, but a very significant improvement. In any way, I, I already had a blog, and I was, you know, I blogged political, cultural stuff, and so I, I mentioned, I, I wrote a post about it, and someone said, "Wow, that that intensity thing, and you know, endurance. That sounds like Art Devaney and his power law." So I googled that, and 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 that, so that's where it kind of started there into a gradual. Uh, taking on the, the 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 cleaner eating art, you know, at first, you know, was evolutionary fitness, and he was far more um, far more uh, emphasis on the exercise part than the dietary part. But he had commenters that would mention paleo, and I'm like, what's that? Because he he struck me as kind of more emphasis on low carbohydrate, um, but in a real food context. But then there was this paleo thing, and and so, you know, just through a process of time, cleaning up the diet, I incorporated that. And then later on, I incorporated the intermittent fasting. And um, so it was, it was really, it wasn't like boom, boom. It's kind of like, well, this works. So what's, what's next? And this works. So what's next? You sound actually a little bit more like a, like a biohacker than, than I really expected. I mean, you're using a device to monitor your progress. You, you made incremental changes in experiments, and uh, wow, I guess that, that's the Silicon Valley coming through in you, right? And for instance, at the Ancestral Health Symposium, my presentation was on self-experimentation. And Seth Roberts, you know, another big self-experimenter, was, was in the audience. He was the first one to jump up to the microphone for, uh, for the question Q&A. But yeah, yeah Seth, is, Seth, I think, is like you in the sense that he's like, insane with the, the way he meticulously, you know, records his data and, and, and stuff like that. You know, as, as long as it's feeling good and I seem to be getting stronger in the gym and fat's coming off, I seem like I'm on the, on the right track. So let's try this. But yeah, I have done a number of things like for instance, uh, the cold water therapy. I was, uh, uh, San Jose Athletic Club has a, a cold plunge that they keep between 40 and 50 degrees. So I would, uh, after my workout, get in that, and I built myself up to being able to uh, to sit in there for 15 minutes, um, you know, starting out from like 30 seconds. And uh, that that's, that's really amazing for, um, I don't know, you know, doing that two or three times, two times a week after your workout. I don't know that it's sufficient to really um, turn on the fat burning, but what it certainly did was that I found was aid in recovery. 
So, you know, you really hit the weights hard, go do that cold plunge for, for you know, 10 to 15 minutes and you suffer almost, I mean, you, you could, you could probably work out the next day or, or the day after it's uh, pretty impressive how it helps your muscles recover faster. We, uh, we have some, some really cool podcasts coming up on that as well. In fact, I, it might be published about the same time as, as this, uh, where we're going to be talking with, uh, with the Iceman himself. And, and there's, there's really cool hormonal triggering things you can do there. Uh, but it, it's interesting that you mentioned the, uh, Seth Roberts. Uh, he and I spoke at the first uh, Quantified Self Conference. I think he, he's a great guy. And, and, yeah, I think you're, you're on kind of one end of, the, of it. He's on the very quantitative end, and I'm probably somewhere in the middle between you guys where, yeah. you know, I, I'll be quantitative for the period of an experiment, but I, there's a lot of stuff where, I, you know, I, get, I got the results I needed and I'm going to move on uh, yeah. rather than continuing to record data just because, like, like data for its own sake is, is less satisfying uh, than, uh, yet than fixing something else you can fix. Right. Let's talk about mental performance. So you, you've talked about some of the changes you, you've had from what you've done just for your exercise capacity and recovery, but how's your brain working on this diet? What changes have you noted? I think, you know, going back, you know, the, the whole fasting was another self-experimental sort of thing. And, uh, I, you know, I'd already been eating a, a low-carb paleo thing for, you know, some months, and so I was already, I think, very well uh, adapted to, you know, running on ketones a lot, you know, running on your own body fat. Last week, as I was writing the book, I, I was wondering, you know, is there any research out there? Um, and I didn't really dig super deep, um, but I was just, you know, Googling around to see if there's any research uh, out there on enhanced cognitive function, you know, for a fast. And actually what I found was exactly the opposite. It seemed like all the research I was able to find showed that there's either no effect or, or a derogatory effect, especially in kids and stuff like that. But then, so then I thought, well, this, the confounders there is, are its kids and they're growing. So, you know, fasting may not be the ideal thing for kids. Um, and the other thing is, is it seemed like, you know, they were just pulling people out of the population say, here, let's put them on a fast. Well, if a person isn't, average person has, has never gone at more than a few hours hungry in their whole lives, you know, at least in their waking hours. So they're probably not very adapted to it. And just that shock, um, that shock alone, or, or just the stress of it mentally, I can see how that would degrade performance. But once you're adapted to burning your own fat, once your brain is used to using ketones for fuel, it is, it is my subjective opinion or belief that being in a fasted state, uh, for me, sharpens, uh, sharpens my function. I, I really like to write when I haven't uh, had anything to eat when I'm hungry. And, and I like to go to the gym when I'm, when I'm hungry. You know, I work out, all my, all my workouts are fasted sometimes significantly, like over 20 hours. But I, you know, I don't have any data, you know, you, uh, you know, you'd have to sit down and, you know, do some sort of a cognitive function test when you're fed and then do it when you're fasted and, you know, compare the, the data. But it seems to me that writing is, is an intellectual endeavor and I do a lot of it. And, and the fact that I seem to prefer doing it when I'm hungry and I actually don't like writing uh, any time, you know, near having having had a meal. You know, it's a perfectly good paleo meal. I just don't feel like I don't feel like I, you know, I I more kind of prefer sitting around and vegging or maybe reading something. So that's just uh, just my uh, perspective on it. I think that um, I think that we're designed to 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 go hungry. And uh, it, it, it makes evolutionary sense to me that, um, that we would be adapted to states of, of hunger and that we would actually perform better, both physically and mentally, um, because you would kind of need to, because your survival's on the line at that point in a, in a, in a natural environment, in a natural context. Well, you, you've just convinced me to ask some of my quantified self-friends, a lot of them follow the blog, 
um, to, to look at um, fasting and mental performance. And we know that, you know, coconut oil and ketones, and we've had Mary Newport on the show talking about mental performance and fixing Alzheimer's just from eating more healthy, saturated fats. But um, I, I share your experience there. When I'm, when I'm fasting, you're, you can get in the zone a little easier, especially if you add um, high-quality coffee that doesn't give you the jitters at the same time. Um, then I'm just, that's when I can crank out the most. And I, I blog professionally for my day job too on cloud computing stuff. So, um, you know, for me, writing productivity is terribly important uh, and I feel the same way you do. Yeah, 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 yeah. Last week when I, you know, it was almost, it was round the clock work on, on this book project. And when I wasn't, when I wasn't writing, I was thinking, you know, like, okay, what am I going to do next? And, and so on. And I found, I found it was preferable to eat at a fairly uh, uh, calorically restricted diet for the week. So, and I didn't want to think a lot about what am I going to cook? I just wanted something simple and fast. So it was a lot of, you know, tuna and sardines and boiled eggs, you know, just go grab yeah. it. But but kind of just a little munching here and there when you when you get a little little hungry, but not enough to kind of bog you down. Um, and I felt that I performed better mentally. And you can just really get in the groove, and you can just go and go and go and go. The other thing I think of, uh, in terms of cognitive performance to think about is it's just not it's not only problem solving or the creative ability, but it's also the endurance, right? You know, you can function at a very high level, but maybe not for very long. But I found that by just eating, you know, good quality protein and some fat and keep the carbs really low throughout the week, that I was just able to, I was able to function for, I, I was able to endure for long periods of time, like hours without a break, just sitting there, you know, writing, Googling, doing research, plugging stuff in and just go and go and go and not even think about it. One of the things you recently did was a month-long pure paleo experiment. And a lot of people, when they first hear about the paleo diet, their face kind of goes in the shock and they say, what do you mean? We can't have any kind of these foods for the rest of our lives. And what a lot of people don't know, I guess, is that it's not maybe as strict as some people might believe. And could you talk about that experiment and maybe some of the results that you experienced from it? You know, there's a, there's a long history to this. I, I suffered a um, herniation in a cervical disc in my neck. Unknown cause. Um, Dr. Her Kurt Harris actually looked at my MRIs and he said, well, he said it's normal. Person your age, uh, there's almost everybody has... Uh, herniations in a few discs uh, at, you know, 50 years old. So it's, you know, there's no, it's not like, oh, you worked out too hard at the gym or something. Could be, but the, not necessarily. At any rate, it caused me some excruciating chronic pain uh, for the first few months of the year, you know, almost 24-7. And um, I couldn't, I couldn't work out. I couldn't hardly sleep. So I ended up putting on some, some weight. You know, at a point when you're suffering chronic pain 24-7, you kind of don't care. So I, I kind of put on some weight, and I didn't really, once the pain went away, I didn't really focus in on getting myself back in shape to where I was. And so I thought, you know, I finally, I, I've really got to kind of do something here. So I thought about doing a pure paleo thing, and, and um, there's a website called Whole Nine Life or Whole Nine and uh, they have this program that they call the Whole30. It's a very strict paleo and not even any dairy um, for 30 days. I didn't quite do the whole thing because the Thanksgiving holiday came up and we were down south with, with friends. But I did, I did it for most of it, and I got really good results. So, you know, I dropped about six pounds towards, the, you know, taking off the, the stuff that I had gained. And, um, I, I had a few other benefits as well. For example, I, um, quit having any intermittent kind of heartburn whatsoever. Um, sleep was really good. And the most, the most uh, curious result is that, uh, my eyesight improved. I have, uh, um, farsightedness, which is, you know, stuff up close 
is hard to focus on. And so a few years back, I finally got like reading glasses and, um, I use them for a couple weeks and then I wouldn't seem to need them for anywhere from a couple weeks to a month and then boom, I need them again. And so that went on, but increasingly I had, I needed them. And, and one good, uh, one good, um, kind of, um, one kind of good kind of yardstick is the iPhone. You know, it's pretty small text. And so when you're out in the out, I would kind of be able to tell how my eyesight was doing by how well I could read the screen without, um, reading classes. And during this, during this experiment, it actually improved to where I didn't really need them that, that much at all. So that's, that's quite interesting to me. And I, I've since had uh, people commenting on, on the blog that, that say, yeah, it's, it is possible to improve uh, farsightedness. In fact, I, I'm really stoked to hear you mention the nutritional side of that. Um, I've done something similar both with the Bulletproof Diet, which is essentially paleo with a few less toxins taken out. But uh, there's also hormesis, like basically weight training for your eyes, which I've also done and went from uh, 2060 in both eyes back to 2015 and reversed in astigmatism in three months. So there, there's a blog post or two I need to write about that, but it's, it's absolutely a training function just like just like going and hitting the gym and my training regimen consisted of one hour Saturday morning for three months. It was, it was pretty amazing. What you, uh, are you talking about exercising your eyes in terms of like focusing in on stuff at different, uh, different distances or something? Yeah, there's a whole bunch of different techniques. Some of them are pretty weird, like, you know, little 3d things and, you know, making your thumb float between your fingers and spinning around in a chair actually is one of them. It, it seems a little weird. Some of it's actually based on really old yoga for your eyes and some of it's based on developmental ophthalmology, but, um, man, I, I actually have vision processing weirdness in my brain where I kind of see things differently than other people. You know, I, I'm 2015 and I can you know, read and see and all that stuff fine, but, um, so for me, it was actually, it, it affected my overall cognitive performance as well as just visual processing. So I, I was pretty amazed by it, but just seeing the numbers change and to see the astigmatism go away was, was pretty cool. So I, I think nutrition is a huge part of it. And you, you definitely hit on that, which matches what I've seen. So when I'll make sure to email you when, when you write that post about vision hacking. Well, let's ask a little bit more on the nutrition side though, because we just talked about the strict paleo, um, sort of month you spent. What about supplements? I mean, cavemen didn't have vitamins. So what's your take on supplements? What do you take? Should people think about it? And what, what's your thinking there? I think that a good paleo diet that includes regular consumption of, I just did a post this morning about the I had this cold and so I thought well let's really pack in the nutrition so I went to this I went and got liver and onions uh, and fixed uh, last night and it turns out that uh, that that liver is uh, arguably uh, if not the among the most highly nutritious uh, foods uh, in the world and for example last April I did a live internet debate with uh, with a raw vegan, um, <laughs> a raw fruitarian vegan. Uh, yeah, it was quite a deal. There was like a thousand people listening on the phones and a bunch of people streaming on the internet. So I challenged during that debate, I challenged him. I said, I said, go compare, go, go compare a, you know, four ounces of beef liver uh, to, to the fruit you eat nutritionally. And some guy took up the, the challenge. And it turns out that for like a mixed collection of fruit, in order to get even close to the liver nutritionally, we're talking four ounces of beef liver. To get to the level of nutrition required five pounds of fruit. Five pounds, right? Yeah, there's uh, a little bit of a fructose overhang there, huh? Yeah. <laughs> And so, yeah, you can go to my blog, freetheanimal.com, and just search it. Just do, uh, just search for um, nutrition density, and that post will come up. It's nutrition density uh, uh, challenge: beef liver versus um, uh, fruit. And I have a bunch of of, um, of graphs and everything there. And also, um, when I reviewed Dr. Davis's book, Wheat Belly, 
uh, not really a review, kind of a, uh, a review of a review. At any rate, I, I compared um, a beef liver to a loaf of bread, so 1,400 calories of, of uh, bread versus 1,400 calories of beef liver. And it, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> When you when you when you when you look at it. So to get back to your question, um, uh, the very first supplement that people should be taking is uh, is various animal uh, organs, awful, and and liver is is probably the most common. And you can do it in various ways. You can you know you can make your own pate from chicken livers, and or you can even make it from beef liver, pork liver, calf liver. So, you know, get some of that every week because it is so enormously packed with nutrition and it has, you know, it's a, it's a real food. And then, and then eat, you know, the, the paleo diet predominantly. It, so, so that should, in principle, take care of all your nutritional needs. However, you know, evolution doesn't care about optimality. All it cares about is, uh, is, um, you know, propagating the, the, the species. So as long as you uh, are, uh, you know, are get uh, attain the age uh, that you can, you know, father or mother offspring, that's, that's really uh, all that uh, evolution is in the game for. In the search for a certain ideal or optimality, I think that there are a few uh, supplements uh, worth taking. Um, number one would be vitamin D because uh we just don't we don't live out in the sun like we uh like um like we evolved you know we're we're indoors in the house we work in offices we travel in automobiles or trains or airplanes so you know get sun when you can on on bare exposed skin but i think uh, i think some supplementation with vitamin d is is well called for and i had great results with it uh, over the years I mentioned this cold I have. It's the first time I can recall being ill in three to four years, and it, that corresponds with uh, beginning vitamin D supplementation. And if you search on the internet uh, or go to vitamin D council, I think .org, um, they have a whole section there about what uh, what diseases and illnesses vitamin D is associated with, and it's just about all of them. Uh, I think uh, I think um, deficiency is uh, is epidemic, and then when you throw the uh, when you throw into the mix that you have you know white skinned people living near the equator and dark skinned people living at high latitudes, uh, and then you combine that with uh, the, the 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 fact that that uh, white skin absorbs sunlight and synthesizes vitamin D far more efficiently than dark skin, and and that dark skin is actually a a um, evolutionary evolutionary adaption to uh, protection uh, from getting too much, and white skin is so that it's more efficient because uh, white skin people were living at higher latitudes. So, that, so you have the vitamin D. The second one uh, would be um, the vitamin K2, which you find in things like uh, eggs, yolks, liver, as I've already mentioned, um, the butter fat of, uh, of of cattle if you if you eat dairy there's a lot of interesting research about bone health and dental health um, using k2 um, we do not convert k1 to k2 very efficiently but ruminants do so you know they eat the grass convert the k1 to k2 and then we eat them and get the uh, get the k2 but but what the what the research seems to point to is that k2 works in synergy with vitamins a and d to make calcium and other minerals go every place it should in your body such as your bones and your teeth and no place it shouldn't such as your arteries um, they can they can reverse uh, calcific, uh, arterial calcification in rats with high dose of vitamin K2, completely reverse it. So that's very interesting. Uh, Weston Price back in the 30s using a um, a concoction of of cod, um, fermented cod liver oil with that has vitamin A and D and K2 from a, a certain centrifuge fraction of clarified butter from grass-fed cows eating rapidly growing grass in the spring, he was able to actually get uh, cavities to remineralize. 
so you can actually cure a tooth decay with nutrition. Uh, so that's the second biggie. Uh, the third one I would say is magnesium. Uh, it's involved in so many, like 300 cellular processes and considering the, uh, the, the, the depletion of magnesium in the soil, I think it's a good bet to get magnesium. Those are my big top three. And I think if you combine that with the paleo diet, I think you're probably, you're 90, 95% there. I, um, I always worry about, you know, some of the, some people, you know, they really get into it and I want this and this and this and all these other things. And, um, you, you get to an area of diminishing returns. You know, I, fish oil is good, but not, not, not a lot. You know, I take about a gram of cod liver oil and I take, uh, um, a half a gram of krill oil. That's my fish oil regimen. And that's about it. It's interesting. I mean, my, my list certainly looks a lot like yours, uh, but uh, Dr. Campbell from the Vitamin D Research Institute, uh, who has come in and actually spoken at the Silicon Valley Health Institute, the nonprofit that, um, that I run in the Bay Area there. I mean, he's kind of down on liver because, uh, you know, excess vitamin A and vitamin A and vitamin D not going together. And, I mean, I, I, I drank a raw, a raw lamb liver smoothie once just yeah. to, you know, I'm, I'm down with raw meat. Um, I don't regularly do it just because it's hard to get good sources of it, but that was probably the most disgusting thing I've ever had in my entire life. Yeah. Uh, so what are your thoughts on maybe a little too much liver not being so good for you? Uh, I think, I think he's, um, full of it. Uh, I've, I've seen his stuff. It's, it's totally from an evolutionary standpoint. That's something I just, absolutely would dismiss out of hand without even having to think about it because the idea when when you look at when you look at uh, primitive peoples the, the organs are prized above all because they 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 uh through through deep wisdom going back a long time they 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 see their own health results um when they when they eat those things so um, and, and look at carnivores in the wild. Uh, you know, the first thing they go for is the insides, the, the liver and lungs and stuff like that. So just from an evolutionary standpoint, just no way. Uh, and I don't, I don't think you should pig out on liver, but certainly eating it once or twice a week or even once every couple of weeks is no problem. Now, as far as the vitamin uh, A being antagonistic to D, I don't, I don't even buy that on the, on the merits. And in fact, Stefan Guine, uh, at whole health source has, it has a couple good posts on that. If you, if you whole, wholehealthsource.org, if you check that out and also Chris Masterjohn and yep. the lesson price, he's also blogged about it. And, uh, yeah, uh, long story short, I, on this issue, I, you know, I like canal and, and, a lot of, lot of great stuff, but I think on this issue, he just simply doesn't know what he's talking about. Sorry. It's true that there are people who sort of, you know, all, uh, everything looks like a nail when, you, when you've got a hammer. That's um, right. I, he, he's a pretty impressive guy. Uh, and certainly, uh, for a while, I cut vitamin A out. Uh, and I, um, I do use vitamin A, particularly if I'm getting a cold, which is sort of the opposite of what you'd recommend. But I found that that if uh, I always take high vitamin D levels to keep my blood around levels around 90, but I found that adding a little bit of A does seem to improve immune function, which is the opposite of what you'd expect. So I think there's there's more work to be done there. It's uh, pretty interesting. Um, and in fact, in Stefan's post that I that I mentioned, the way it works is that a you you can a vitamin. Here's how it is. It's, I'm pretty sure that people can show signs of vitamin A toxicity, certain symptoms or whatever, but it's not really a vitamin A deficiency. It's a vitamin, it's not a vitamin A toxicity. It's actually vitamin A deficiency or vitamin D deficiency because A and D work so synergistically together. Richard, one of the things I really enjoyed that you said on another interview once was that the paleo diet was a diet of no diet. And I was hoping you could explain that to our listeners and what that means. Right. Well, yeah, that was on, uh, that was on, uh, I think that might've been on uh, Angelo, Angelo Coppola's, um, um, one of his podcasts. Here's what I've always said is that, you know, I don't, I don't, um, I don't necessarily agree with the, the low carb or 
the moderate carb and high carb paleos. I don't agree with the zero carb folks. Um, I don't agree with anybody who says paleo is, is, is this because the way I view it, we evolved and we migrated to the, you know, every corner of the earth. So what I like to say is that paleo is equator to Arctic and sea level to 16,000 feet and everything in between. And, and in all of those environments, there are, there's massively different, you know, both um, micronutrient nutrition available as well as macronutrient, you know? Um, so someone who evolved in the tropics, for example, might be far more adapted to a lot of fruit, a lot of tubers in their diet than say someone who, you know, evolved in, you know, what is now Norway or evolved in, in, in a place of like, like, you know, where they live at super high altitudes in the Himalayas and then everything in between. So I, when people, when people ask me, do you eat zero, low, moderate, or high carb? My answer is yes. But, you know, and then I ask, what, what, what meal are you talking about? What day are you talking about? What week are you talking about? What month are you talking about? So, you know, I, I, I eat many meals that are a zero carb meal, or I might sit down and eat two sweet potatoes with some cinnamon and butter on it or ghee, something like that. You know, so it's this idea that you have to eat this certain macronutrient ratio every time. I just think is ridiculous. I think that through, again, through the sort of self-experimentation route, you can kind of find a mix that works for you. But I think that I think probably your best bet is, is to try not to go with any specific thing. You know, eat, sit down and have that steak and only the steak sometimes, or sit down and have a potato sometimes. And, and in between, you know, the steak and salad or maybe some starchy vegetables like squash or something like, you know, so mix things up. I think the more that you mix things up, the more uh, that your body will, will likely uh, be just fine, right? Because you're not doing the same thing over and over all the time. So that's why I mean the diet of no diet. So it's a framework. It's really a framework. It's an evolutionary framework within which you create your own diet. One of the things, one of the things that, that um, had, I'd been thinking about writing a book for, for quite a while, but then I, but this whole concept, like kind of, because people expect with a book, you know, that it's going to give you the formula, right? And so I've, I've, I've said many times that, you know, everybody wants to write a diet book. Nobody wants to write a million diet books because that's really what it's, what it takes. So it's really more about principles, a framework, a real food framework. And Kirk Harris, Dr. Kirk Harris, archivore.com, um, he's famous for saying, you know, paleo is proscriptive far more than it's prescriptive. So in other words, one way to look at paleo is a, is, is a diet of avoidance. You know, avoid the grains, avoid the sugars, avoid the processed foods in general, and avoid the industrial vegetable seed oils, you know. And what does that leave? It leaves real food. So, um, you know, meat, fish, fowl, vegetables, fruits, nuts, dairy, if you tolerate it. It's kind of funny. It, it, it sounds so simple uh, when, you know, when we talk about it now, but when I sat down, I, so I, my, my first book is coming out from Wiley um, next, actually next year, cause it's, it's now just the end of December and uh, it's about nutrition before and during pregnancy. And it, it's very paleo friendly, uh, but it's based on, you know, biochemistry findings and all. And I'm, uh, it took six weeks to sort of build a bulletproof diet diagram from all that research in order to try and tell people that, yes, those are the basic categories, but it, you know, if you're going to eat all, uh, you know, all raw spinach, your kidneys are going to be unhappy. And, you know, if you cook your food wrong, cause you deep fried all of your animal pieces, uh, yeah, 
you know, it doesn't work. So building the nuances in, I think, is, is one of those examples of kind of lifestyle practice and, like you said, a million diets, seeing what works for you. Right, right. Well, what's uh, what are kind of the most underrated parts of health in general, aside from just nutrition here, um, that, that you, you see in people or that, that you've come across? Like, like, where do people not pay enough attention? Who, where do you start? Um, that's a hard question to answer because I, I think where people don't pay enough attention is that they've gotten away from the idea that they're ultimately responsible for their own well-being. Um, and of course, that is uh, encouraged by the political elite who want you to, you know, uh, look to them for everything, as well as the institutions of, of uh, the various institutions. You know, I'm talking about, you know, Diet Diabetes Association, Dietetic Association, all these experts that are funded by the big food manufacturers. Um, and so there's all this, there's all this, uh, 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 there's all this, you know, you get, you get it from the, from the, um, from the government, you get it from the news media, you get it from all of these uh, institutions. And uh, there's a big interest in keeping people in a state of constantly looking for authority, for some external authority to tell them what to do rather than thinking for themselves, putting some logic and thought to it and say, well, does that make sense? And they look around them and people are getting, you know, it's been 40 years now that, you know, we have these, you know, guidance for all Americans or for the, you know, all citizens of earth, whatever. And, and people are getting fatter and fatter and sicker and sicker, you know, heart disease, cancer, diabetes, all of them going up and up and up, or at the, in a minimum, not uh, going down. And so, and the, the, the fast, the, the quick answer to, or the quick uh, objection to that is, well, th that's because people aren't following the guidelines. Well, perhaps they're not, but what they are following is the experts. And when you have the experts, then the food manufacturers go right in and as soon as they have these guidelines, then all the products come out. It's, you know, it's low fat this, or there's no trans fats, or it's, or even it's low carb this, but it's otherwise garbage, right? So it's, so they take the fat out and add sugar, they do all this. So yeah, people aren't directly following the guidelines. They're simply eating the food that's available, that's on the shelves, because that's what the experts uh, because they see on the label, oh, yeah, and I heard a newsman, yeah, I'm supposed to be eating low fat, oh, it's low in fat, or there's no fat, or, or whatever. So they're, they're, they're following the guidelines by proxy because that's what the food manufacturers are making. I don't know if that answers your question or not, but, uh, but yeah, I think, I think essentially people's biggest problem is that they seek authority. They seek to be told what to do, and and they they uh, have basically defaulted on their own responsibility to see to their own health and well-being. I would translate that sort of uh, as uh, as mindfulness. You say you need to be aware of what you're doing to your body so that you can be responsible for it. Uh, and, and by the way, big pet peeve there: gluten-free waffle is still not something you should put in your body if it came in a box. But I, I see so many people who are are really authentically trying just to handle their health and they go off and they spend extra money and they, they're so proud of doing gluten-free stuff covered in syrup and it doesn't work and they get discouraged and, and it it just uh, just drives me nuts so I, well, it, like I said how do you feel yeah I well I think you know for example we, we have every example uh, of this this same phenomenon I mean it was the low fat so you know as soon as there's as soon as you shouldn't be eating fat well there's all these products that are low fat just going back to what I said you know that's what the that's what the experts say so that's what the food manufacturers are going to put on their boxes so that people go oh wow that, you know all I have to do is buy this and I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing so then then you know you have the low carb craze and I, I think I think low carb is is a is a is a valid diet, particularly for for losing weight. It's very effective because it replaces the sugar with fat, 
and it's more satiating and it keeps your baseline insulin levels lower so that your fat can be released from cells so that it improves your satiation so that you eat less and, and lose weight. Uh, but what happens then? All right. So once the one, you know, back with original Atkins, you know, if you wanted to do low carb, you basically, you know, you ate meat and eggs and, and salad. There was, there was no, you know, restrictions on vegetable oil type stuff, but still, still uh, pretty effective in terms of, of, of weight loss. But then what happens, and even the Atkins company or whatever they are themselves, uh, they start producing a bunch of garbage in a box and cans, bars and everything that is, is filled with all sorts of crap, but it's low carb. So it's the same thing. Now, this is why I like using this. Why this one of the reasons I kind of stuck with this whole paleo thing is because I think it has a, a protection against that to some extent. You know, I mean, so far the worst I've seen is, uh, you know, is, um, you know, packaged beef jerky and stuff like that. Um, but then you look at the ingredients. I mean, with, with it, it, if you cannot, you cannot truly say something is paleo if you look on the back and it's full of a bunch of, uh, you know, preservatives and dyes and, uh, you know, flavor enhancers or, or, or whatever, you know, that big long list of, 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 of things. So that's, that's one reason I'm very enthusiastic about paleo is because it seems to have a built-in protection, especially if you look at it as a, as a framework of, of real foods, and along with, uh, like I said, being proscriptive in, in things to avoid. I love those comments. Uh, it makes so much sense. And you, and you hit it right on the head. Low-fat or these uh, low-carb uh, processed foods are still processed foods, and they don't work, and they're not paleo, they're not bulletproof, and uh, they're not going to help you achieve your health goals. Yeah, you know, I, I, why, when I use, usually, a lot of times when I say processed foods, I say industrial processed foods. Because when you go to the store and you buy, you know, a, you know, a pound of ground beef or you buy a roast or something, you come and put, you know, do whatever you do to make a, a nice, you know, integrated meal of meat and vegetables and, and so on, you are processing, but you're doing it at home. You're doing it with care. Uh, you know, yeah, you're, you're processing your food, but it's, it's a far cry from the sort of processing that goes on in an industrial setting. So yes, you know, make your, make your nice fancy meals with your sauces and your homemade bone broths and, and all of that stuff. And, 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 and technically it's processing, but it's a totally different kind of processing. It is indeed. We're getting towards the end of our interview. So I have uh, sort of two questions for you. Uh, the first one is, can you just tell us a little bit more about where people can learn about your book, your blog, and about maybe when you expect your book to come out? Yes. Um, the, uh, the, the blog is freetheanimal.com. It is, uh, it, it, there's probably somewhere around, you know, 1500. I started the paleo thing in the spring of uh, 2007 and started blogging about it. And then I believe it was just about a year later or sometime in the summer of 2008 where I shifted over to being exclusively about paleo, you know, um, diet, health, fitness. Um, lot, there's lots of, uh, there's lots of food examples there. You go click on the category called food porn and I do lots of photos. Um, I don't do, I don't do a lot of really detailed recipes. It's usually simple. And a lot of times I just say, you know, there's this and this and this and kind of go through the cooking process because I like, I want people to, to really get in and, and experiment with cooking and don't be afraid. How do you, how do you learn to do anything? You just get in there and do it. So if you're not afraid to fail, ruin a dish, then, then get in there and you really, you really, you can start turning other recipes into paleo versions of those recipes. Uh, there's also a lot of success stories, uh, so you can find that category and look at some of the, the some of the success stories. Some of them are, are in pictures, 
some have stories of text and, and there's also some video interviews with, with people who have done that. And, and in terms of the book, um, I struggled about that for a long time because I wanted to, to write a book going, going way back. And I've already, you know, discussed the idea of, you know, one diet book versus a million diet books. So I wanted, a, a, I eventually settled on something where, uh, you know, I have a, there's a lot of readers that, that, the animal, you know, a hundred thousand or so visits a month and 200,000 page views. But I didn't want to write it. You know, there's, there's, there's already a bunch of paleo books out there. I didn't really want to write a, a book for my, for my readers per se. I wanted to write a book so that my readers could say, Hey mom or dad or brother or sister or friend or coworker, you know what I've been saying all this time? Here's something you can read in two to three hours. So it's a short book. It's about, you know, a hundred pages, about 25,000 words. So a hundred pages, if, you know, in a regular, whatever, six by nine book format, about 65 pages or so in an eight and, 11, eight and a half by 11 format. It's an ebook. It's going, it's going to be on Kindle, the, the Barnes and Noble Nook and uh, the Apple's uh, iBookstore, as well as on the, the publisher is Hyper Inc., and it's also going to be on their website in PDF, a little higher price point because in that one is going to come with some extras as well as lifetime updates. As an ebook, um, I can update it anytime I want. I just have this shared Dropbox folder and I put my updates in there and boom, they change it and it goes out. So I plan to do that quarterly so that I don't have to write up, keep writing feel like I have to keep writing books. I'll just update this and expand it over time and make it, you know, better and more concise and more integrated. I'm sure there's probably some errors in it. Uh, as far as when it will be out, you can, you, the, there is a couple posts on, on my blog about that recent post that you can look at, but essentially what I'm being told, we just, we just wrapped it up uh, last Friday afternoon and, um, uh, three. I had two editors and a journalist uh, working with me. We used Google Docs, amazing collaborative tool. We could all be working on it at the, at the, at the same time and texting back and forth within the document and putting notes and having threads and it was quite an amazing experience. Um, so we wrapped it up. Uh, they are telling me it should be out uh, before the holidays. So, um, um, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, but the, I, but what it is, is it covers everything that I think is important and nothing that I don't think is important. I wanted it to be something very simple and basic for people who don't already know about paleo diet, fitness, exercise, the fasting, the supplements, the food, uh, the, the saturated fat con, the cholesterol con. So everything I think is important is in that book that a beginner can read it and immediately within a few hours know what they should be doing. As an ebook, also a use of, of uh, inline hyperlinks to, you know, other blog, uh, my own blog posts, blog posts of others uh, that I've, I've referenced over the years, uh, original search, uh, original research, uh, secondary sources for research ag articles in newspaper magazine. So, so actually someone who is, who really wants to get into this, they could spend three days on the thing or more by just running down all the rabbit, rabbit holes from the links. So there you have it. Wow, that's uh, that's going to be a really sweet book, and your publishing calendar is amazing compared to the you know two-year um, traditional New York publishing one. I'm I'm going down. Oh man, I just I, I'm too impatient for that. And besides, you know, I you, you're probably aware of you know Seth Godin's uh, project with Amazon and how he's totally you know kind of gone the other route, and he should know, right? What I think a lot of people are unaware of is when you go to a bookstore and you see all those books, the reason they're a minimum, typically a minimum of 200 pages, somewhere between two and 300 on average, is because those are the economies of scale when you're going to print something and distribute it, right? So you, you kind of have to have that kind of a link, but you have uh, that link, but you have no such restrictions in, uh, in eBooks and, and my, my, the very first, the thing I wanted to always have in my mind as, as we were writing this is I want to have, I want to write a book that people actually read. 
you know, <laughs> I, I don't, you're, you're an entrepreneur, Dave. I'm sure I, I don't, I, I, I can say this for myself, but I have bought many, many, many business books over the years, right? And they're all two to 300 pages. But what I often find is I read the first 40 to 50. I'm like, yeah, I got it. And I, I don't finish it. You know what I mean? I, I thought you were supposed to just buy them to have them in your office to look important. Yeah. <laughs> well, a lot of times you, you get a book and I read like the introduction, which kind of summarizes the book. And I'm like, yeah, I got it. Okay. It's, yeah, makes sense. I got it. Interesting. <laughs> you know? <laughs> cool. Um, so we're, we're down to the end of the show. And the final question, which is uh, going to be our closing question for all of our guests uh, from here on out. And it, it's what's your one sentence, maybe two if you need them, answer to the question of what are your top three all-time recommendations to improve someone's performance across all domains? Like what are the big guns? Uh, well, uh, uh, diet, real food. I mean, that's that. I just think that with the, you know, nutritionally dense, a paleo diet, that is just, that's 80% of it right there. And then secondarily, I think, uh, I think some sort of, of fitness regime where you're lift, pushing, pulling, lifting heavy things, run fast every once in a while as part of that. And then finally, get, adapt yourself to being able to go hungry for a while. Uh, it's good for you. Uh, uh, we didn't get into uh, the whole autophagy thing, you know, uh, where you cleanse the cellular level when you fast. Maybe it may be another time, but those would be the big ones. I love your list. So uh, real nutrition, heavy things with lifting and uh, occasional fasting. Uh, yep. I, I do all, all of the above. And I, I think, I think that those are excellent. And I'd love to have you back on the show uh, in a few months, maybe to talk specifically about fasting. That'd be great. Sure will. Yeah, I've done a lot. I've done, I've done every kind of regime and, and uh, you know, the, the, wor the fasted workouts and, and, uh, and so on. Thank you so much for being on the show, Richard. Thank you, Dave. Now, I'd like to remind you that you can find links to everything we talked about in the show notes that we're going to be posting at bulletproofexec.com. We go to the trouble of making a full transcript of the entire show, including the interview, so that it's searchable and you can find anything we talked about here on the show. It's actually a huge amount of work. We put all of these up. We don't charge anything for them. And we appreciate that you come and you learn. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.